Futurecast. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Leadership development told through the lens of Star Trek. Your host, Jeff Aiken, is a 20-year veteran of the public and private sectors in management and leadership. He specializes in helping people unlock their true potential and is a huge Star Trek fan. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. We can all agree that customer service is critical to the success of any business, company, or venture. But if it's so critical, why is it so rare? I'm going to share examples of amazing customer service, and I'm going to help you implement it into yours and your team's day-to-day. I get to do this because of the episode we're watching today. It's the 17th episode of the second season of Enterprise, Canamar. The Enterprise is trying to hail a shuttle pod. Captain Archer and the engineer, Trip Tucker, were on a first contact mission and were supposed to rendezvous with the ship. The shuttle is here, but they are not. Fearing the worst, First Officer T'Pol gets analyses from the tactical officer, Reed, and others. Finding nothing but bad news... There are traces of human blood on the deck and bulkheads, both the captains and Commander Tucker's. Lieutenant Reed believes they were abducted. They head to Quito and all to see if they have any info on where they could be. Now, because this is TV, we get to see where they are before anyone else does. They've been arrested, and they're on a prison transport along with a bunch of other prisoners headed to a planet called Canamar to be tried and imprisoned for suspected smuggling. The guards have little patience for questions and border on inhumane treatment, like just border on it, but not quite there. To Paul, back on the ship, doesn't have a lot of luck with the Anolians. They're a high-traffic port, but one of their representatives does agree to come up to Enterprise and help them out. Super cool of them. They do some cross-referencing and other computer kind of stuff, and they end up getting a match. A patrol ship intercepted their shuttle as it was leaving orbit. Where are they? On board one of our transports. This is great news! The Enolian sets up a rendezvous, and they head out. Super simple. Well, just before everything goes south, on the transport ship, Archer gets the good news. In front of everyone. You're being released. He gets, literally, 20 seconds to celebrate before one of the prisoners busts out of his shackles, frees a big ol' Nausicaan, and they hijack the transport. From here, it totally turns into a classic prison escape story you've probably seen a whole lot of times. Archer maneuvers his way to get into the cockpit and to get close to the action. You ever fly a warp ship before? He gets a distress call out before the bad guy, Kuroda, shuts down communications. He does a lot of really sly, subtle things to learn what he can and to mess up their plans. He's really, really good at this. Archer learns they're going to meet up with a shuttle in a faraway system. Kuroda and the Nausicaan are going to get rescued, but the rest of the prisoners are going to be left to die. He's going to set the transport to crash into a planet, so they're all assumed dead, and he'll get to walk away scot-free. No one will be looking for us if they think we're dead. Following the clues and narrowing down possible destinations, the Enterprise figures out where they're going. Well, despite Archer and Tripp's best efforts to stop the hijackers' plans, they fail and end up docking with that shuttle. But wait! The door opens, and it's not the people coming to rescue the prisoners, it's the crew from Enterprise. 
The Enterprise intercepted the shuttle and took it over. After an exciting melee, they get all the prisoners off, but Kuroda refuses to come along. He chooses to go down with the crashing transport instead of going back to prison. On Enterprise, the Enolian official tries to apologize for what happened, but Archer is way too upset for that. He's understandably outraged. He sends him back to Quito and all, and Enterprise is back on its way. This was an awesome story. I mean, I feel like they could totally make it into a movie, really. God, I bet it would do really well. I don't know, I'm thinking maybe, maybe cast Nicolas Cage in it, and you could call it, yeah, you could call it Con Air, because this is the exact same story. It's a surface-level attempt to do a tried-and-true story, and it did, well, I mean, it did decently at it, right? I mean, it was a good time. My big complaint, though, is that there was actually an awesome episode, an incredible episode buried in this that they barely even touched on. After this quick message, I'm going to talk about the commentary on the correctional systems and judicial systems that almost was. The Starfleet Leadership Academy is supported by listeners just like you. Click the link in the show notes to support the ongoing production of this podcast. Before I get into that, though, I want to talk a little bit about the episode itself and some stuff that worked and some stuff that really didn't work for me. First, this was a gorgeously constructed episode. The scenes were beautiful. The makeup was good. And the place like the, the, the place that they were in, the pacing of the episode, the timing, it just it all just really worked. In fact, the entire episode builds to the big climax of the shuttle crashing on the planet and the pacing, the camera work, and the music all work together perfectly to ramp you up and really pull you into the action. That said, this episode did not do Trip Tucker any favors at all. He basically played a lackey to Archer and came across like an entitled jerk. They had him sitting next to the guy that you never want to sit next to on a plane. Have you ever been to Baralda Prime? Can't say I have. If you ever go, avoid the polar islands. The people are friendly, but the cold is unbearable. Nothing but ice and glaciers. I was stranded there for three months when some colleagues of mine decided to leave without me. Imagine that. The day I got lost, that was the worst. Just constantly talking about things that you never asked about in detail that you simply do not need. He is played perfectly by Sean Whalen who's been in almost everything ever. He's really nailed his look in this niche. But Trip, Trip was terrible. He didn't even give Dude a chance. Literally just snaps off with, It reminds me of the time I was on Shut the up. From Go. He's basically beating this dude up, and it is terrible. In fact, there's a brief moment when Trip is going to try to ambush Kuroda, but Wayland warns him. They play it off like he's being a coward and trying to avoid conflict, but... But given the way that Trip was treating him, I think he was totally justified. Oh, and one last thought. One last thought before I share what this episode could have been. At one point, the prisoner says, I'm sure we're all grateful for your courageous efforts, but we've been in these restraints for three days. Three days. Wow. Here is what might be the biggest question of them all. The biggest question in all of storytelling for all time. You ready? When did they use the bathroom? Like, they had these guys locked down tight. How does that even work? Now, back in the 37th episode of the podcast, we watched Voyager 1. 
Seven of Nine is left to maintain Voyager's course all alone for a month. She does not do well during that time, and that gave me an opportunity to kind of go off on the concept of solitary confinement and how it is cruel and absolutely inhumane. Well, this episode almost took another step back to look not only at that horrible practice, but at how criminal justice and the correctional systems tend to work. The ideas of fair trials, bias in law enforcement and sentencing, as well as trying to reduce recidivism or repeated incarceration are well documented. What we know, at least in the United States, generally speaking, is that trials are heavily influenced by how much money can be thrown at the court. And the government generally has however much money that's going to take. Bias in law enforcement and sentencing, while discussed, is still rampant. Now, that's not me saying that all police and law enforcement are biased or racist. Please do not hear me say that all of them are. I'm not saying actually anything about the people right now. I'm talking about the processes and the systems. And as far as recidivism goes, one of the strongest predictors of whether or not a person will be incarcerated or not, according to many sources, including the Prison Policy Initiative, is if they have been incarcerated in the past. Now, that does not mean that people who have broken the law are more likely to break the law again. It means that a person that has been incarcerated is more likely to be arrested, found guilty, and be put in jail or prison again. Please notice I never said they actually broke the law, just that they're much more likely to be arrested, convicted, and incarcerated. So what does that have to do with this episode? It starts right at the beginning, when we see Archer and Trip locked up on the transport. They assume that they'll get in front of a judge or a magistrate who will hear them out, and then they'll be fine. They're disabused of this, though, real fast. What if you're not guilty? We're all guilty as far as they're concerned. The trial does nothing more than check a box for whatever rights the people in this region have. It's just, it's just all a show. From Go, we have an awesome Star Trek concept to dive into. What does due process look like and why is it important? How do you maintain impartiality in judging crimes and sentencing people for them? But we don't even touch on this concept again. Throughout the episode, it's clear that most of the prisoners would be willing to die instead of going back to Canamar. We get examples of the guards being jerks and generally, generally having a good time hurting and humiliating the prisoners. So another Star Trek theme arises. The foundations of personal dignity, even when that person is a prisoner. Oh, what a great topic to dive into. But nope, absolutely zero commentary on it, and no comeuppance for any of the guards either. The episode continues, and we get some downtime between Kuroda and Archer, where we learn some of Kuroda's backstory. Sounds like you started your career early. I was young, but I was no criminal. A supervisor accused me of stealing a brace of latinum. I had nothing to do with it, but they couldn't find anyone else to blame. I was sentenced to five years at Doranum. The themes keep on building. I mean, this is perfect. The Anolians essentially manufactured a criminal out of Kuroda. Yes, come on, Star Trek, let's do this. Let's talk about punitive versus restorative justice and all the impacts that come with that. Or not. Nope, nothing on this at all. Literally just the single heartfelt moment between them and nothing else. But here's the thing. That's not all. 
At the very end of the episode, Archer is furious. The Enolian official is trying to make nice and be sure he can get his paperwork done and turned in. And Archer just rips into him. As you're aware, my engineer and I were falsely arrested. We almost wound up in Canamore. Makes me wonder how many others don't belong there. Yes! Do it, Archer! Call these guys on their BS and do the Kirk thing. Go in there, get them all fixed up, and... Oh, nope. Nothing here either. He drops the line, walks off, and we get credits. Ah, it's so disappointing. This could... This could have been an incredible, an important episode of Star Trek, but instead, we get low-budget Con Air. You know, actually, now, now that I think about it, this kind of all makes sense. You see, in the first two seasons of the show, for some, some wild reason, they just called it Enterprise. It wasn't until the third season they added Star Trek to the title, and this totally makes sense. This wasn't, this wasn't a Star Trek episode at all. This was a prison transport escape show in space. Command codes verified. I'm going to share something about me that might cost me a bunch of money, but I love amazing customer service. I love working with people that truly understand the dynamic between provider and customer. In fact, I love it so much, I will usually buy things that I don't even need if the service is great. But the opposite is also true. I have walked into stores with some serious coin ready to buy. But if I get blown off, ignored, or almost worse, given cursory check-the-box kind of service, I'll walk away empty-handed. I am so excited that this episode demonstrated some galaxy-class customer service. I'm going to share what happened, why it was great, and how you can do the same thing. But before that, I am going to bestow upon you an unlock an absolute superpower. I'm going to share with you the secret weapon that will save you time and time again. I'm going to show you how to apologize. Come to Quark's Crisis Fund. Come right now. Don't walk. Run! I do carry a select line of unique artifacts and gemstones indigenous to this region. One quick, maybe kind of fun tip before we get into this. There are times as leaders that we're not able to share the truth, or at least not the whole truth. That's just part of the job, unfortunately. So here's the tip. If you have to not quite tell the truth, be sure that some of the truth is in what you're saying. We're new to this region. We used to work mostly in the soul system. Archer wasn't lying here. He was just presenting the facts in a way that helped him achieve the goal of escaping. So just a tool for the toolbox for you there, hopefully one you rarely have to use, if ever. But it's a great job by Archer to tell a defensible story and still get closer to what he needs. Okay, to the good stuff. Who wants a superpower? Because I've got one for you. Fabulous secret powers were revealed to me. First, a little background on why this is such an important power. We do not live in Star Trek. I know, I know, it's shocking to say, let alone here, but we don't. We do not live in Star Trek. And what that means is that we're all human. And as Alexander Pope said, to err is human. We're going to mess up, and probably a lot. And it's when we mess up that the second part of his quote takes on real power. The full quote is from his essay on criticism from 1711, and it goes, To err is human. To forgive, divine. Oh, man. 
Forgiveness is the best. But more often than not, you're going to need this superpower to get that divine level of forgiveness. So, like I said, the superpower is apologizing. Let me play the quote for you that prompted this whole piece. On behalf of the Enolian government, I'd like to extend our apologies for this inconvenience. This is at the very end of the episode when the official is talking with Archer. So, first off, too little too late, right? And secondly, it is totally insincere. He got ripped up by Archer not only because of the wrongful arrest and the rough treatment, but because of this feeble attempt at an apology. I call apologizing a superpower, right? That's what I've been saying this whole time. Well, if Spider-Man slinging web is a superpower, the official's apology is the silly string on your wrist version of that power. It's just a joke. So what makes an apology rise to the level of a superpower? It's a very simple formula. There are four steps to this formula. First, say you are sorry or express remorse for the specific thing that happened. Admit responsibility. Ask or describe how you're going to make it right. And finally, commit to not doing it again. And the most important part of this formula, you have to mean it. If you don't mean it, don't even bother. An apology, even following these four steps when you don't mean it, when you're not being authentic about it, is almost worse than the apology the Enolian official gave. So let's reframe his apology using the four steps and see how much more effective it could have been. Captain Archer, I'm sorry for your wrongful arrest and the way you were treated on the transport. This happened under my authority and I take full responsibility. I'd like to offer repairs, supplies, and R&R to you and your crew to make up for this. I'm taking this to my leadership, and I will be advocating for sweeping changes to our systems. With an apology like that, Archer would have very little basis for his response. In fact, having been on the official side in the past, I imagine that you would watch the fury drain from Archer's face, and, and honestly, he'd likely offer to help be an advocate for the changes that were necessary. So let's break this down. Step one, say you are sorry and be specific in what you're sorry for. He did this by saying he was sorry, right? And then specifically for the wrongful arrest and mistreatment on the transport. Step two is to admit and own responsibility, which he did by explaining his role and his authority. Step three, describe how you will make it right. He did this by offering to make the ship and the people on Enterprise whole again by replenishing their resources. Step four, commit to not letting it happen again. Within this official's power, he can't change the system and he can't guarantee this won't happen again, but he describes what he will do within his scope of control and authority to help stop this from happening in the future. Now, do you see the power in this? Can you see how apologizing in this way absolutely changes the game? Quick story. I used to manage a public program that a certain industry was required to go through for part of their certification. The prior leadership had added layers and layers of red tape to the processes and had made it long, so painful, it was difficult for the businesses to get through them. I was working to change that approach and provide a more lean and customer-focused process. But in the meantime, we were killing businesses. 
So I worked with the representative association to go to some of their meetings where these business owners met to talk about their industries and the challenges facing it. I walked in knowing that I was the bad guy. I stood up in front of them and I could see the anger, the vitriol on their faces. So I started off by using this superpower. I started off with the four-step apology. Hi, I'm Jeff Aiken and I'm sorry. I'm sorry for actively becoming a barrier to your business. Over the last few years, we went out of our way to complicate these processes, and I'm sorry for that. I'm afraid I can't do much to make up for what happened in the past, but please, if there's anything I can do, please tell me. Here are the things that we're doing right now to fix this moving forward and to be sure that this doesn't happen to you again. All four steps are there. Saying I'm sorry for something specific, taking responsibility, even though it was a different leadership group, that's insider baseball, that's irrelevant to them, right? Then I asked what I could do to make it right and explained how we're working to make sure it doesn't happen again. I loved watching them deflate. You could physically see them shift from righteous anger to a real desire to help and an appreciation for the work that the team was doing. So when I said superpower, I, I was not kidding. There's no hyperbole here. A real, authentic apology following this model changes everything for you, and it is extremely powerful. Please, please use this power judiciously and all the time. And as long as we're talking about apologies, can we get somebody out here to apologize for the nearly barren wasteland of customer service out there? I mean, I go into larger stores that used to be almost synonymous with customer service, and now I feel like I'm putting them out and inconveniencing them. Ugh, it's so frustrating. In the 69th episode of the Starfleet Leadership Academy, I talked about corporate values and how more often than not, they're just words on a page, and they don't actually get carried out in reality. In that episode, I cited a Notre Dame study that showed concern for the customer was the second most commonly stated corporate value behind integrity in the top spot. So if this is such a common value, why do we so rarely see it? Instead of focusing on the negative and listening to me complain about people that don't want to take my money, let's flip it and talk about what awesome customer service looks like and how you too can implement it. We see amazing customer service from the Enolian official in this episode. When T'Pol first reaches out to him, he gives a very understandable and realistic excuse for not helping them out. We're the busiest trading outpost in this system. We get thousands of visitors every day. Now that makes sense, right? We have so many ships and so many people working here. I'm sorry. Like, I get it, you know, but after he understood what was going on, he went into customer service warp drive. We literally go from him giving her the canned response to him on the ship, giving hands-on assistance. He literally flies hours and hours with them until the entire problem is resolved. Wow. So let's do some comparisons. The traditional definition of customer service, according to Wiktionary, is the act of providing services to customers before, during, and after a purchase. No one bought anything from the official, but he did provide services, so yeah, check the box. That's customer service. 
Oh, good for you! But great customer service, according to an article written by Salesforce in 2019, is fast, personalized, connected, and proactive. Did the official line up with this definition? Not really. I mean, it mostly was, but it was far from proactive. See Archer's response to his apology for more on that. But to be honest, while the Salesforce definition is good, there's a different one that I prefer. It's much more general than either of these. It is simply do whatever it takes to be sure the customer is happy, period. When your definition and operationalization of customer service is to do whatever it takes to be sure the customer is happy, you end up with real, verified stories like these that I'm going to share. One of the most popular stories, like I'm sure you're going to know what I'm talking about right away, it's that, that popular, where a company moved into a new location. A customer from the previous business that was in that location brings in a set of tires that they bought and they want to return them. Without hesitation, the sales professional opened the till, handed the man his money, and took the tires. Dude became a regular customer, and the store nailed the tires to the wall in the back to remind the team what service looked like. This company has a lot of other great stories, but I'm going to share just one more. This one is near and dear to me because it happened at one of their Portland area stores. A man comes into the store looking for an Armani tuxedo for his daughter's wedding. The sales professional takes his measurements and says they'll see what they can find. Man leaves, expecting maybe, I don't know, to never hear back, but the next day he gets a call and his suit is on the way. What he didn't know, at least not right away, is that the sales professional called a colleague in New York who found and altered the suit, put it on a truck to Chicago, where another coworker met up with the truck at a rest stop so they could ship it direct to the customer's house. Pretty cool, right? Well, to make it even more cool, this company doesn't even sell Armani suits. They bought one from another company, made the needed alterations, and then had it in the customer's hands in next to no time. And as far as he knew, this was all handled in-house. It wasn't about showing off how hard they worked and how outside the box they thought. It was literally only about making sure the customer was happy. Now, if you haven't already guessed, these stories are from Nordstrom stores. Nordstrom has not only set the bar for customer service, but they've become the description of it. People and companies advertise themselves as the Nordstrom of whatever industry, right? The Nordstrom of fast food. The Nordstrom of cloud computing. The Nordstrom of propane and propane accessories. The Enolian official must have either worked at a Nordstrom or read the book, The Nordstrom Way. We're still several hours away, but we have patrol ships in that area. He is actively problem solving with the Enterprise crew. This isn't just their problem. He's made it his problem. In this scene, they pick up a quick distress signal and they know where the crew is, where the transport is. The official could just let them rush off and well, hope they don't lose track of them. But instead, he reallocates his resources to help them out. He has a vested interest in this as well, right? But he's there on board helping his customers. I've known quite a few people that have worked at Nordstrom as sales professionals. And to a person, they are wildly successful in their current roles. And each one of them will at least partially credit Nordstrom's culture and approach to customers for their success. So how do they do this? And how do you do it? Well, let me ask you this. 
When you hire someone new to your organization, do you plop them in front of some onboarding video or hand them a manual or handbook full of rules and policies? Honestly, I'm almost positive you do. Well, Nordstrom gives each of their new team members a handbook as well. It's a five and a half inch by seven and a half inch card that says the company's number one goal is to provide outstanding customer service. And for this, they have only one rule. That's what it says on one side. And on the other side of the card, it says, use good judgment in all situations. That's it. Nothing more. The entire handbook tells them the only two things they need to know to be successful. Prioritize the customer and use good judgment in all situations. My friends, this is empowerment. If anyone on your team has ever said this line to a customer, you are not empowering them. Oh, I'm sorry. That's against our policy. Like literally the nanosecond that a policy is referenced, you've lost the war. We've all heard people begin sentences with our policy and we all know nothing good has ever come after it. You have disappointed your customer and you have taken all agency and decision-making away from your team member. But as I've said before, Empowerment doesn't mean just do whatever you want. Empowerment without accountability is anarchy. People at Nordstrom are held highly accountable. They do not hesitate to part ways with someone that fails to use good judgment. High expectations, high accountability equal high outcomes. Now at this moment, the company Nordstrom is kind of struggling, like most, to adapt to the ever-changing post-COVID response environment. They have failed to provide leadership at the board level to strategically lead them through these times. But the only change in store, other than a growing reliance on online sales, are tighter accountabilities for sales professionals handling returns. I am fascinated to see how this all plays out. Nordstrom has made the concept of the inverted upside-down org chart a reality where promotions are considered moving down the org chart. Line and support workers are at the top of it. This structure and the ability to stick to it could be the company's saving grace. But unless you're on the board for Nordstrom, and if you are, honestly, please reach out to me. I have a lot of questions. But unless that's you, the struggles they're currently experiencing aren't that relevant. What is relevant is their drive to always make a customer happy every single time, no matter what. I was so impressed with the Enolian official doing this, and I will be even more impressed when you do the same. In fact, let's use the microphone on the website again. Go to starfleetleadership.academy and click the little microphone button on the right-hand side of the screen. This will let you record a voicemail that goes directly to me. I want to hear your customer service win. When did your team provide Nordstrom level service to somebody? Share it there and I just might include it in a future episode. I can't wait to hear your stories. Will you do me a favor? Wherever you're listening right now, your phone, a web page, your tablet, wherever, will you click that share button? I don't know, it's usually like on the top or bottom right area of the screen, but click that button and share this podcast with somebody you know. That would mean the absolute world to me. I'd also love to connect with you. I'm on Twitter at SFLA Podcast, and you can follow me on most all the social media at Jeff T. Aiken. 
That's Jeff, T as in Tucker was a jerk in this one, A-K-I-N. Computer, what are we going to watch next time? Working. The ninth episode of the sixth season of The Next Generation, The Quality of Life. This is the Exocomp episode. If you've watched Lower Decks, I feel like this one is going to hit a little bit differently. Spoiler alert, we meet an Exocomp that joins Starfleet in that series. So, a lot coming from there. But in this one, we're going to consider what life looks like and how we need to work to protect all of it. This is a standout episode in a standout season of The Next Generation, and I cannot wait to dive into it with you. But until then, ex astra scientia! Hey, Brent. Have you ever seen Babylon 5 before? Babylon 5? You mean that show from the 90s? Yep. No. You want to watch it for the first time? Let's do it. Babylon 5 for the first time, not a Star Trek podcast. We are two veteran Star Trek podcasters watching Babylon 5 for the first time. We're searching for Star Trek-like messages in the series and deciding if we should have watched it sooner. You can find us on Good Pods, YouTube, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Babylon 5 for the first time, not a Star Trek podcast. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an electric cast production. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and... Hear the culture. Electric acid.